Well, good evening, Howlers Church. My name is Bryant. Again, said that at the beginning of our gathering. The privilege of serving uh, as one of the pastors here. Uh, the areas that I uh, give leadership to are, of course, uh, our music team. And I'm always looking for opportunities to uh, develop lead worshipers in our church. So uh, if music, singing, thinking about leading is something that, uh, that you'd love to uh, kind of step into, uh, what you're seeing tonight is uh, a development process, an equipping process. So uh, helping Cameron and Sarah to grow in their ability to lead out. And uh, we're going to release them to do that on their own. They won't be doing it with me one day. Uh, so don't be afraid if you're thinking, man, if I step up, they're just going to throw me out there to the wolves. That's a different kind of training, but that's for another day. <laughs> Uh, and I also give leadership to our, our missional communities, and uh, same thing. We want to bring people along and raise up leadership within the life of our church. Um, as we'll hear in a moment, our vision, our passion is to magnify and to multiply the gospel uh, through Seattle to the ends of the earth. And one of the ways we do that is by multiplying missional communities, communities of disciples who are living together, not like literally, some of them are actually, uh, but who are striving together in mutual discipleship, loving uh, God, loving one another, and more importantly, loving our city uh, for the glory of God with the gospel. Uh, tonight, uh, if you'll grab your Bibles and join me in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 is what we'll be looking. Thanks, Naomi, for reading that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible provided in the seat back uh, in front of you. Uh, you grab that and use that for tonight. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to gift you with a copy of the Scriptures. We've got a stack of Bibles out in the entry area. Feel free to grab one of those on the way out to own a copy of the Scriptures. So tonight we're landing our vision and value series, uh, which began early February. We've been on this journey for about the last two months, but this has been an intentional pause from our, our normal pattern of studying through a book of the Bible or books of the Bible uh, to essentially recalibrate as a church family. God's done a lot in the life of our young church plant in the last five years, uh, and in that time, he's brought to us a lot of disciples, and also in that window, he's called a lot of people away for various reasons to various places, even as we're praying for the Titus family tonight. So it's, it, it behooves us, that's not a word we hear very often, but I love it, it behooves us then uh, to take a moment to pause and to come back and refocus our heart's attention around the vision uh, that God gave for planting the Hallow Church, which is to magnify and to multiply the gospel through Seattle to the ends of the earth. But not only that, we want to take some time to dive into the scriptures and explore uh, the values that frame our philosophy and our practice of ministry as we seek to fulfill that vision. So in the last two months, we've looked at our values, our shared values, and they've been gospel clarity, which expresses our desire to understand the gospel as we seek to apply it to our lives, as well as communicate it uh, with, the, with those in our city. Biblical fidelity, which expresses our desire to take the scriptures seriously as we look to and trust them as a source of truth about God, about humanity, about life, about salvation, and about eternity. Missional strategy expresses our desire to be faithful to respond to the gospel as we who have received it are compelled by the love of God to be ministers of reconciliation. We want to be intentional in our efforts to pursue those who are far from Jesus with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we engage in missional strategy. 
Humble community expresses our desire to walk in humble submission to one another as we are encouraged to live in light of the gospel and to use our spiritual gifts in service of building up the body of Christ, the church. That's the very thing uh, Andrew and Ashley ask that we pray for them as they go to serve the commons in LA, that they would be able to use and leverage the spiritual gifts that God has given them for the building up of the church. When we talk about sacrificial generosity, it expresses our desire to steward or to manage and to leverage the time, talent, and treasure that God has entrusted to us in such a way that brings him the most glory, but in a way that also is for the good of our lives, for the life of our faith family, uh, for the good of our city, and ultimately for the good of the world. When we talk about global mentality, uh, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it expresses our desire to see the peoples of the earth with the eyes of God and to engage them both locally and cross-culturally with the gospel, knowing ultimately that it would be for their good and for the glory of God. So this evening, we land the plane with cultural integrity. As a faith family, we cherish the process of becoming a distinct community within Seattle for the sake of Seattle. We desire to contribute to the overall welfare of this great city by expressing and embodying the ethics, the ethics of God's kingdom. So we encourage Christian engagement with uh, culture-shaping venues such as the arts, uh, business, government, the academy, and we wanna do that with integrity, with authenticity, and of course, we wanna do that with excellence. So let's dive into this passage in 1 Peter tonight and see how the scriptures point us towards living with cultural integrity. I'll read it again, beginning at verse 9 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Scripture says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think it's clear from this passage that the gospel informs our identity as God's people. Peter is writing to disciples who are spread across a wide region of what we now know as modern-day Turkey. In his opening remarks uh, of this letter, he addresses the exiles of the dispersion. And I think this carries somewhat of a dual uh, connotation as he's communicating with his people. Uh, the Greek word here for dispersion is diaspora or diaspora. Uh, and it was used by Greek-speaking Jews to refer to Jewish people who were scattered throughout the nations, dispersed from their homeland, Israel. Here and in James 1.1, dispersion refers to Christians particularly, but I don't think it necessarily means that Peter is writing to Jewish Christians specifically. Rather, the term here has a new spiritual sense referring to all believers who have been dispersed all over the world among all nations. Many of them, of course, at this time have probably been dispersed particularly from Jerusalem because of persecution, but he's writing to believers worldwide as we uh, are in, in, intertwined with the nations. Uh, the language he uses reminds us that God has always desired to have a people, a people who would represent him to the nations of the world. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the biblical narrative, but in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 12, we see God uh, calling a man by the name of Abram and giving him a promise that if he would go to the place that God would tell him, he would bless him and he would give him many descendants and ultimately all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. 
God was faithful to that promise to Abram, who became Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob, and their descendants became the nation of Israel. They were God's chosen people. This is where we began to understand that Peter wasn't specifically referring to Israel only, but to all those who call upon the name of Christ, because God has made a spiritual Israel through Christ. To them and to us today, he reminds us that in Christ, first and foremost, as the text says, we're a chosen race, specifically a chosen race race is what he says. Now through the covenant with Abraham, Israel was a particular people group that God chose to work through and to work in to make his glory known among the nations. But the promise that God gives Abraham in Genesis 12 is that all the nations would be blessed because of his obedience, would be blessed by him or through him. Now if you um, look throughout the Old Testament, you'll find that uh, that covenant wasn't kept because of Israel's faithfulness. There's plenty of evidence showing that they had uh, an innate inability to keep covenant with God. But God, because he is faithful, brought that covenant to fulfillment. And we today are blessed because uh, because of Abraham's obedience through the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we saw when we studied global mentality from Psalm 67, God's desire is that the nations would be glad and that they would sing for joy because they have come to know that God is good, that he is just, and that he is guiding all the nations of the earth. But how do the nations come to know this? How do they come to know our good, our loving, our merciful, our just God, except for God blessing his people so that we might make his way known among all the nations, all the ethne is the word there, among all the different people and all the different people groups, and his saving power to all generations. But through Jesus, God has done a new thing. Now, instead of working through a specific or a particular uh, race or ethnicity or people group, he is rescuing by the blood of Jesus people from every tribe, every language, every nation. And I would even say, insert here whatever demographic marker you want to, you want to include. I would even challenge us to think about uh, the spaces in which we live and the spaces in which we work, uh, the things, the passions, and the hobbies that we're engaged in. Uh, in our city, not only do we have a multiplicity of ethnicity, of the ethne present, but we have a lot of subcultures that would perhaps even be identified as different aspects of ethne themselves. And so as God is is saving, is ransoming people by the blood of Jesus from all the ethne, he is making with them a new race. Paul hints at this in Galatians 3.28 when he says that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Yes, we're still identified in the world by our various ethnic or racial or cultural distinctions, but in Christ, we're one. In Christ, we are one. And that cultural reality of this oneness, this new race being formed, is rooted in the gospel. And it's what God wants to use to demonstrate his power to reconcile and transform people who are still yet far from him that they would see us and they would recognize that, man, these people, they're not from the same place, they don't look alike, they don't really believe all the same things about life, but except for Jesus, there'd be no reason for them to have fellowship or communion or community. But Jesus Christ, 
us uniting around the gospel is what he uses to form a new race, a chosen race of people. And he wants to use us to be a royal priesthood. It's the second thing it says here in our text. Now, because God is creator and king, uh, and those who are in Christ are his chosen people, as we just heard, it makes sense that we're royalty, right? Now, the idea of being royalty kind of is, is, it causes uh, some, some dissonance in our minds because we're disconnected from the, the idea of having kings and queens and princesses and princes. But a better understanding of what is meant by royal priesthood in this passage, I think, can be found in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, If you're familiar with the biblical narrative, this is where God has uh, performed the miraculous uh, plagues, as they're called, uh, in Egypt to rescue his people out of Egyptian bondage. He's brought them through the Red Sea. Huge miracle that's happened. And now, uh, days later, they stand at the foot of this mountain called Mount Sinai. And as the people look up, it, it really looks like the world is coming to an end at the top of the mountain because God has chosen to manifest his presence on this mountain. He's about to constitute Israel as a nation by giving them his law. And he says these words to Moses that will help us understand this idea of being a royal priesthood. He says to Moses, you tell them, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore or carried you on, on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Another passage that might shed light on uh, what, what this means to be a royal priesthood or a kingdom of priests, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which we studied this passage particularly when we talked about our shared value of missional strategy. In this passage, the Apostle Paul tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and has now entrusted to us, those who believe in Jesus, he has entrusted to us both the ministry or the service and the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel. Now, we don't make anything happen. We are simply servants But God is the one who is at work in and through us. As a matter of fact, Paul says in that passage that it is as if God is in us, at work in us, imploring, reconciling people to himself. But the way he does that is when we communicate the message of the gospel. So essentially, as God chosen, as his chosen people, as his ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors, even as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, we function in the role of priest helping people step into relationship with God through Jesus Christ as we proclaim the very message of reconciliation. I like to think of it in him saying that you are a kingdom of priests from that Exodus 19 passage. Um, We know in the the nation of Israel, there were 12 tribes. Uh, One of them specifically functioned uh, in the office of the priesthood. That was the Levites. But the picture that God is painting for his people, sure, there are priests within their ranks, but he wants the whole nation of his people to represent him to all the world. A priest represents God before the people. And so what God intends for all of us, even as he speaks to us through Peter in this passage tonight, is to be a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, so that as we live life in the city of Seattle and beyond, 
we would represent God before the people and, and help them, facilitate essentially them having the opportunity to step into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. It also says that we're a holy nation. God calls us to be holy because he's holy. But that's impossible, of course, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are to live as the people of God, surrendered then daily to the power and the work of the Spirit in our lives, that we might live lives that are not separate or separated. God's call for us to be holy isn't to be removed from the world, but to be distinct in the midst of it. So we're to be a distinct people, distinct from those who are outside of relationship with the Savior. We're to be holy in our thoughts, in our speech, in our conduct, in our dealings. And just a few verses after our text, Peter says in verse 12, uh, he admonishes us to keep our conduct honorable. Look there, uh, 1 Peter 2.12, it says, keep your conduct honorable among the, the Gentiles so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 16, to let your light so shine so that when men see your good works, when people see your good works, they will give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Yes, we do want to live in such a way that people give God glory, but God has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation so people don't fully come into relationship with him until we have verbalized, until we've made, proclaimed his excellencies, made his good deeds known to those that we're, that we're talking to, that we're in relationship with. So not only does the gospel inform our identity as God's people, but I think the passage also shows us that the gospel guides our engagement with the world that is. The passage says that he's done all these things. He's made us uh, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that we might proclaim the excellencies or the wonderful deeds of the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. When I think about how we accomplish this, I think about our shared value of gospel clarity. Again, if we're clear in the gospel, then we are able to communicate it and speak the truth of the gospel into each other's lives. So I think about it in this way. Gospel clarity should ultimately lead to gospel fluency. When you think about speaking a language, if you're fluent in a language, then uh, you pretty much can speak it comprehensively. You know the ins and the outs of it. It's not just that you can, you know, drop into a culture or context and uh, ask, you know, you know how to order something at the restaurant or ask where the bathroom is. You, you essentially know how to handle this language in such a way uh, that you, you know where to place the correct emphasis on the right syllables. Got that? Emphasis on syllables. You're, you're a master of that language in such a way that you know how to accent the various things that need to be in the right time. Well, we want to be fluent with the gospel in such a way that when we encounter the lies of the enemy in our lives, that we're able to, to yes, speak the truth for ourselves as we combat those lies. But as we journey together in community, we want to be able to speak the truths of the gospel to one another. We want to encourage one another in the gospel. We want to proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds of the one who rescued us from darkness. I think about how a couple of months ago um, we stepped into this crazy role of parenthood. Uh, and so in light of that, uh, yesterday we spent some time with some folks uh, over in our West Seattle expression being encouraged, being equipped uh, through an opportunity called the Gospel and Parenting. We've been talking about that a couple of weeks. And uh, one of the sessions I heard um, 
one of the, the presenters say how we want to help our kids from a very young age begin to, to learn how to acknowledge God in all the things of life. So like when we walk outside and it's raining, which when is it not raining in Seattle? Uh, we want to we say, oh, we thank God for the rain. And when the sun comes out, of course, we have no problem thanking God for the sun coming out. But, but teaching our kids to see and acknowledge the hand of God in the everyday rhythms of our lives. Well, as we become increasingly more and more gospel fluent, that's what it means. It's not that when good things happen to us, we tell our friends or coworkers or neighbors how lucky we are, how fortunate we are. We acknowledge that these things come to us because of the grace of God. I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't do anything to earn this, but God in his grace has blessed us. He's blessed me. He's provided for our family. We begin to acknowledge the hand of God in every good and perfect gift that comes into our life because the scripture says that it all comes from him. So as we become increasingly clear in our understanding of the gospel, we then are able to, to speak it more fluently, not only to each other, but to those who are far from God. So that it's not that we want to have a, um, a canned gospel presentation ready. I do believe that we do need tools that help us communicate the truth of the gospel. But as we are gospel fluent, speaking the truths of the gospel of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, both in time and for all eternity, I believe the gospel is saturating the very nature of who we are. And so it's not a matter of us communicating the gospel one time, but anytime we have conversations with our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, we're speaking of the truth of Christ. One of the things I remember uh, shortly after moving to Seattle, I was uh, helping with a community project. I was just trying to get in, get in and meet people because uh, I was single at the time. I had yet to meet Michelle. Uh, and so I was just building relationships. And I met a guy uh, on this service project at school. We were digging these holes to put these totem poles at a school, which uh, we didn't see the end of the project. But now I can drive by there and I can see uh, what we were working on. It's, it's finished. Uh, but we started hanging out. Uh, he was like six months into recovery. And so his whole life dynamic, his community, his friends, all that had changed. So he was looking for people to hang out. I was looking for people to hang out. So I was like, hey, let's hang out. And so we would uh, go for walks in the park, hikes uh, in our city. I don't, I don't really like get out there in the wilderness. I know somebody's going to drag me out there one day. Uh, but we would go for hikes in the city and our parks and stuff. And uh, as we would just have conversation, um, I would just Try, to, try my best to connect, to interweave stories of scripture, kind of bring to light. Man, I know you said this and that makes me think of this. And about the third time we were hanging out, I mean, he didn't seem like he was annoyed by it or anything, but I just went ahead and said, man, I, I love the Lord. I love Jesus. And man, I, I read the Bible. And man, when, you, when we're hanging out and talking, there's so many times you say things and it makes me think about stories in the Bible. And I just want to like share, is that, is that cool with you? It's like, hey, yeah, man, yeah, that's great. And what was cool, this guy was like almost 40 years old. And one day, taking me from one place to the other, because I walked to meet him, we were driving the car one way or another, I don't even remember how this happened. We got into a conversation about uh, the origin story, uh, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, and uh, ended up talking about Cain and Abel, and how Cain killed his brother Abel. And uh, as he dropped me off, uh, this rings so clearly, I, I see this moment in my mind right now. He, talked, he said to me how he had never understood how all of that was connected. Cain and Abel and uh, the first murder and that Cain and Abel were the son of Adam and Eve, all these different things. But all of that came about just because I was speaking the truth of God's word. And you never know how God will use his word. The promise of scripture is that 
as he sends forth the rain and it accomplish, accomplishes its purpose, so does he send forth his word and it will never return to him void. So as we unashamedly begin to speak the truth of the gospel, speak the truths of scripture, we are planting gospel seeds in the lives of people because this is how God has called us to engage our culture. So the gospel informs how we engage our culture by proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. But the gospel also frames our perspective, our perspective particularly towards those who are without the Savior. The scripture passage here tonight says that we were once not a people. He said, for once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. For once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When he says once you're not a people, I think that speaks clearly that before coming to Christ, we were alienated from each other. Again, we're united in the gospel. The reason we are here, the reason we are in community, the reason that we're striving together in life now is because of Jesus. He's made us a a new race for his glory. But apart from Jesus, we would be alienated from each other. There's so many people who are disconnected from one another, disconnected from other people here in our city. One of the coolest things of, of seeing how community gets to be formed uh, with Becoming Parents, we stepped into uh, a group in our neighborhood, an organization started in the city of Seattle about 30 years ago that kind of helps facilitate relationships. Uh, and it's been cool to hang out with people in our neighborhood. All of our, our kids are within 10 weeks uh, age of each other. And uh, man, we hang out we, in those early days when it was really intense. We uh, talked about, uh, asked questions about, maybe commiserated about how we weren't sleeping or how is this going or how is that going? But community was forming around our kids. But there are people in our city who move here, who are not a part of a church, who don't engage with an organization like this, who aren't a part of a church, let alone our church, uh, who are alone in the midst of thousands, perhaps even millions of people. They're alienated. And before coming to Christ, before being found in him, being a part of his people, we were there. The gospel gives us perspective in that where where you are, you haven't always been. And not only that, there are people who are still there. And he goes on to say that once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy, which I think communicates how we were once alienated from God. Think about Ephesians chapter 2. Where it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is the excellency of him who made us alive together in Christ. And he raised us up with him and he has seated us with him in heavenly places. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're surrounded by people who are alienated from true life-giving community. We're surrounded by people who are alienated from a God who loves them. And we have the privilege of stepping into relationships, stepping into conversation, engaging them in the various spheres of life that we already walk in. We're a part of those ethne, guys. We have the privilege of stepping in, being that, that, stepping into that priestly role, being Christ's ambassador, being ministers of reconciliation, speaking the hope, allowing God's light to shine in the darkness that he might continue to rescue, to ransom people for his glory and for their good by the blood of Jesus. So at the end of the day, cultural integrity, I believe, really sums up everything that we've talked about over the last almost two months as a church family. I believe all of our shared values are wrapped up in cultural integrity as we seek to live lives that make a difference in the life of Seattle, in the, in the city of Seattle, so that the gospel is magnified, we're shining a light on it so that it's made big, not only in our gatherings, but in our lives, in our missional communities, all throughout the city, ultimately that as people are rescued by the grace of God, by the work of his spirit, it's multiplied all through the city to the very ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for the privilege it is to be called your own, for the privilege it is to to embody um, the ethics of your kingdom through the gospel, to make the truth of who you are known to those around us. And God, our greatest desire is to be found faithful. We trust that the work of reconciliation, the work of salvation, the work of regeneration is a work that's all up to you, but we want to be faithful servants, ministers. Love our friends, love our neighbors, love our co-workers, love those who uh, are around us in such a way that as we speak of your good deeds, your wonderful deeds, your excellencies, as we speak of the gospel, it would be peppered all in our speech, and they can't help but but glean an understanding of who you are, how amazing you are, and you would allow us to help them step into relationship with you. Help us to be faithful, to be intentional, to be loving, but to be fully surrendered to you as we desire to make much of you in our lives, in our church, in our city, and in the world that is. God, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.